Hello uh, and welcome. I'm Rachel and thank you for being here. This month's offering is how to become a train station and <laughs> I promise it will all make sense uh, shortly. <laughs> the first offering I ever wrote just over two years ago was for my schema series on abandonment and instability. It contained a surprisingly relatable quote from Jeffrey Dahmer, which I felt encapsulated feeling unlovable and lonely, to the point that you'd do anything, even hurt people or think about hurting them to make them stay with you. The quote was, the only motive there was, was to keep them with me as long as possible even if it meant just keeping a part of them. When I'm with people that I am especially fond of, I can be overtaken by a terror that claws into me, comprised of a fear that I will do something or they will find out information about me that will make them never want to be near me again. For years, I've scraped and locked off vital parts of myself or stood at the station of avoidance to shuck off even the slightest possibility that I could be left behind, carelessly let go of, not cared for. I've left messages unread, unanswered, not attended engagements, held onto the benign hope for a past lover to return, all in an effort to encase things in resin, to trap and keep their story, their connection to me open, unfinished. In a world where many of us are consistently oversharing parts of ourselves and never fully feeling seen as we truly are, I wonder what ways feel safe for us to express ourselves without feeling like we're opening up parts to people who don't really care about the soul of those parts. After meeting and deeply listening to someone I'd met through working at the tattoo shop in London during my stay in Melbourne, I'm so glad <laughs> that we met. I was so random, I wasn't like, yeah, anyway, I won't go into it, but I wasn't meant to be there that day, and then I saw him. Uh, yeah, I felt a lot after that conversation, so I had this flash moment where I was like, yeah, this offering's for him. I was going to write about obsession this month, but after our chat, words began to shapeshift to tug and pull the sails toward another port. Part of me questioned, as we were both the furthest from home we could get to, maybe New Zealand's a bit further than England, but basically the same, <laughs> um, if pieces of us were fleeing old crime scenes from our past, or fumbling in the savage heat of the Australian sun 
searching for gaps in the dense blocks of scar tissue as a way of expanding our perspective of what life could be. We talked for hours about feeling and in some cases knowing that other people perceive you as some kind of ogre. A catastrophic beast birthing damage, bereft of empathy, banished to live under a bridge alone, never seen as a beautiful creature. We talked about people believing a story about you that wasn't true, about the shattered democracy of cancel culture, the shoddily made courthouses erected through social media, held up by pillars of blood that open, swirl, swallow lives whole and rapidly. The way the internet could never describe a soul, not really. I can't remember if we hugged, but I have burned into my memory the way he looked at me when he declared that he might go on being misunderstood forever. Shortly after that meeting, I read Haraki Murakami's novel, I'm going to butcher the first name here, Colorless Tuskuru Tazaki and His Years of Pilgrimage. It's a book about building yourself into a solid structure, specifically a train station, after being abandoned. Uh, and you'll find out why later, why a train station. Um, <laughs> and that even if you are abandoned by literally everyone you know, it's not always as simple as shoveling the blame onto yourself and sitting in the deep woods of your sorrow that there are reasons bigger and beyond yourself that cause people to leave. The story is about train station builder Tuskuru Tazaki dragging his body back into contact with three of his best friends from high school. And I say dragging his body back because he didn't want to go. Uh, uh, but he felt compelled to and that will be revealed later why. Uh, so yeah, getting back into contact with his friends, his best friends from high school, who 16 years prior to him getting back into contact with them, without warning, exiled him from the group and told him to never get in touch with them again. For some time after the equivalent of being blocked on social media by his closest friends, uh, he slumps into a depression, with his frozen appetite devouring his youthful features. Uh, after years of gently unstrapping his body from the closeness of others, he tumbled on with his life, mostly alone, with one friendship over 16 years and a couple of casual girlfriends. At 36 years old, he meets a woman, Sarah, that he is barely able to admit he feels a great deal of affection for. She urges him to go to his friends and ask them why. Adamant that she cannot fling herself into an intimate relationship with him 
unless he is able to let go of the trauma caused by his past. Sara tells him the truth, that after one sexual encounter with him, she felt some invisible force being coming between a reunion. He discovers through his first meeting with one of the old high school friends that one of the four from the group accused him of raping them. Something he did not do. Something that the other three close friends knew in their hearts he did not do. And yet, this false story was the reason they all ended their relationships with him. Even with the knowledge of his own innocence. Something in Tazaki feels like it could have happened without him being aware. His distrust for others, a contagious disease. Losing everything can be an aperture, a chance to become, a new colour to paint with. Usually though, it still really fucking sucks. Often, in the last six years, when I've made some type of thick soup from scraps of doubt, dread, self-loathing, shame from being misunderstood, and I can't seem to scoop out the coagulation of skin that has formed a firm barrier over everything, I pull a few tarot cards to gently shuffle me forwards. I'm not searching for answers in those moments. I mean, sometimes I have when I've been really desperate. (laughs) Um, I'm not searching for some quick fix recipe to cure myself. I'm switching up the ingredients in my pantry of images and questions so that I can have a go at cooking different dishes. Most times, I pick the cards to accompany the offering in advance of writing these letters to you, to myself. This month, I shuffled and the magician popped out at random after finishing the first draft, which was right on because all that heavy energy needed a touch of something miraculous, a vibrant image to support the fertility of our own agency. The magician has got all four tools from the tarot on his table. A cup for his emotions, a sword for his thoughts, a pentacle for his behaviour, and a wand for his actions. His task is to learn which tools he requires and when. So, a lifetime's worth of learning, then. To sprinkle in a tiny slice from my first offering about magic by Israel Rigardi. Magic is a series of psychological techniques, so devised as to enable us to probe more deeply into ourselves. Tozaki compares the feeling of being abandoned to being tossed onto the deck of a ship in the pitch black night and suddenly being hurled into the ocean all alone. He says, 
I don't know if someone pushed me off, or whether I fell overboard on my own. Either way, the ship sails on, and I'm in the dark, freezing water, watching the lights on deck fade into the distance. None of the passengers or crew know I've fallen. There's nothing to cling to. I still have that fear, even now, that suddenly my very existence will be denied and, through no fault of my own, I'll be hurled into the night once more. Maybe that's why I haven't been able to form deep relationships with people. I always keep a distance between me and others. The last friend Tazaki visits, Eri, has moved from the small town in Japan where they all attended school together to Finland. I'm almost certain Murakami did this to weave in imagery of Tazaki upon his return to Tokyo, unfreezing himself releasing his body from the barbarous grip of his teenage trauma. Eri advises him to admit his true feelings for the woman he is currently sort of seeing, to be as open and honest as possible. He confesses his lack of confidence to his old friend, explaining I have no sense of self, I have no brilliant colour, I have nothing to offer. I feel like an empty vessel. This gives me images of Five of Cups. I'm scared, Eri. If I do something wrong, or say something wrong, I'm scared it will wreck everything, and our relationship will vanish forever. Eri pauses to consider this response for a moment. Her truth all those years ago was that she was in love with Tazaki, but she did not feel he desired her, so she kept it to herself. I have put her exact reply below because trying to summarise it would just take so much away from it, and I refuse. (laughs) She tells him, It's not different from building stations. If something is important enough, a little mistake isn't going to ruin it all or make it vanish. The first step is building the station, right? Otherwise trains won't stop there, and you can't meet the person who means so much to you. Build the station. A special station just for her. The kind of station where trains want to stop, even if they have no reason to do so. Imagine that kind of station and give it actual colour and shape. Write your name on the foundation with a nail and breathe life into it. I know you have the power to do that. Don't forget, you're the one who swam across the freezing sea at night. Gives me chills to read that line. Um, Being abandoned can sever the parts in us that have the ability to hold trust for others. 
Jessica Duray has written this on The Magician. The act of taking something you may have once believed to hold little value, like grief, rage, despair, social anxiety, and using it to move towards something precious is a kind of modern day alchemy. Tozaki's challenge is to lean in and move towards something precious, into the mystery and promise of life beyond the events he felt defined his worth for well over a decade. The magician holds a wand up to the sky. In tarot, the wands represent the element of fire. In practical terms, the act of doing and moving. In the poetics of space and time, Michael Bachelard writes of fire, that it suggests the desire to change, to speed up the passage of time, to bring all of life to its conclusion, to its hereafter. It magnifies human destiny. It links the small to the great, the hearth to the volcano, the life of a log to the life of a world. The fascinated individual hears the call of the funeral pyre. For him, destruction is more than a change. It is a renewal. Another book I read this month, which absolutely killed me because Ocean Wong is a spectacular writer, was On Earth We Are Briefly Gorgeous. I highlighted pretty much everything in it, but the line that strikes a match in me for this moment is when he writes about an orchid as a flower that opens up like something torn apart. Letting the urge and the rage to be some wholeness reach, grope and pull past the damage could be the loosening of our grip on the stories we have carried for long enough. Four of Pentacles. In the Crowley deck, the Four of, or the Thoth deck, <laughs> the Four of Pentacles is called Power and represented by Capricorn. So cold, dark, gray, nearing black, completed but leading to nothing beyond, careful and orderly but discontented, little enterprise or originality. These aren't exactly then the most positive descriptions. By the way, that's not shade at Capricorns because I think they're amazing and they do so much and uh, accomplish more than most people. So, yeah. Uh, Anyway, (laughs) the aim in all that, like that stream of glassy cold uh, is for stability, security in the material world, not just financially, but physically with others to build up the mind and body into something solid and strong like a station (laughs) Uh, probably overuse that metaphor now but yeah (laughs) the mornings in Melbourne where I was for the past month were punctuated by the song of birds rattling thickly down through branches 
I have no rational explanation to surmise why the sight and sound of birds seems to soothe me. I don't want one. And on the way home, I caught a plane from Texas to London. The hand soap in the toilet was called Big Sur After Rain. which reminded me of times with my first therapist when I was bringing up a lot and she felt I needed to visualize a a supportive uh, space to crash for a few minutes. Uh, I always pictured being on the sand in a small private cove by the Big Sur. The waves, a dense blue shudder, swelling back and forth, back and forth. And always accompanying me was a wrestler called The Undertaker. He was usually on his motorbike, uh, so yeah. We can break that down with Freud some other time. Not in this offering. (laughs) In uh, Shelley Rambo's book, Spirit and Trauma, she writes that the challenge with trauma is to remain and to be the one who remains. She writes about being a witness to suffering that does not go away. Upon his return home, Tazaki declares his love to the woman he thought of seeing over the phone at three in the morning. This time he decides to take the plunge into the dark night himself. I like to end each month with a quote that typifies revivication This one's from Margaret Atwood. So the OG. (laughs) The darkness is a place you can enter and be as safe as you are anywhere. You can put one foot in front of the other and believe the sides of your eyes. Memorize it. Thank you for being here.